0: Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. I am honored to be speaking to the man behind the Fear series. He's also worked on multiple other games, notably uh, Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War with the great Gary Scheiman. I'd like to welcome Nathan Gregg. How you doing?
1: I'm well, I'm well. Thanks for for having me on, appreciate it.
0: No worries, no worries. I'm uh, keen to know how everything came about with the Fear series, how you actually ended up being on it in the first place. Um, well, uh, I had,
1: um, uh, come on to Monolith, um, specifically as a composer, uh, starting, uh, with Aliens versus Predator 2. And, um, so Fear was probably my fourth main game. I and mean, we had a little bit of a spinoff off of No One Lives Forever 2. But, um, I did, you know, AVP2, No One Lives Forever 2, Tron 2.0, Matrix Online. So that's, yeah, basically number five is <laughs> Fear. Um. 2005 when we released it that was a really huge release year for monolith because we released the matrix online we released fear and we released uh condemned uh, criminal origins and that was like the first launch title that we had done on a on a console platform uh for the 360 and so um there's a big year uh for us um and um and so, yeah, I, f- fear. The unique thing about it is that it's um, it was the first game I had worked on where there really wasn't any precedent in terms of expectations on you know what it should sound like. Um, uh, NOLF Two was a sequel. Uh, I I was sort of a um, independent arranger on the first No One Lives Forever, and then uh, when we did the second one, it was like you know I I kind of knew where I wanted to take it, and I would just I just pushed it farther in a lot of directions. Um, Uh, Tron 2.0, you know, obviously, I wanted to get a little bit of that classic Wendy Carlos thing, but then try to update it with, um, you know, with uh, more, uh, you know, uh, current at the time, uh, uh, technological um, analogies to, you know, Um, and so, uh, and Matrix, you know, obviously, uh, you know, that also had a real, um, real precedent for you know what people would expect that to sound like uh fear really was kind of more of a blank slate uh
0: uh craig will you give hubbard, much
1: uh, you give much yeah.
0: um direction
1: so i was originally approaching the score for fear um thematically uh so that i would take uh, a section um of gameplay that was scripted and then i would like try to write a theme around it and at one point uh the designer craig hubbard came into my studio and basically said can you make me a bunch of just subtle ambient loops like a whole palette of them and then i'm going to place them around the level as i design uh and i thought well that's an interesting way to take it and um and so i i sort of stood back from the more thematic work that i was doing and then i basically created a series of these um loops um and some of them are quite short uh and you know we always kind of worry about repetition in games uh because you have like you know you're trying to sustain a game through hours of gameplay but you know you usually only have the time budget to write a certain amount and so we're always trying to figure out a way to design our way around that um but in this case it was the repetition didn't matter in some cases these loops are really really short and some of them were um just uh drone based types of things and some mm. of them were just kind of these off-kilter pulse kind of things and they were just a, sort of a whole different array of things that we were sort of creating and it was just sort of like kind of created a palette of these things and um and eventually i took over implementation from there and we kind of internalized that to sort of refine things and make things better but just for the the initial um phase of the design project it was kind of handy for craig to sort of have these things and they all sort of even in even like the really short ones the 20 second ones or whatever they were even if they even if they looped, there was just this great sense of nagging dread about <laughs> all of them, <laughs> you know, when we created them. And they all had different, like, colors of dread. And it was really fun to kind of figure out, okay, where do I want to put these things? And then it was actually a lot easier for me to return back to the more thematic event-based types of pieces. Uh, and I would use those as hinges between all these types of things. And um, and it was really interesting because it was never just... Uh, it was never formulaic in terms of the approach. It was really looking at the narrative from start to finish and basically saying, uh, "Really creating." Even the action sequences, some of them felt really dreamlike because of the fact that they had these kinds of things setting the mood, as opposed to um, just straight-up action music. Um, and even the action music also was a little off. A little, you know, there was something about really everything that I tried to do in that um, that was. That just felt like things weren't quite matching up and i wanted that to that to sort of permeate the entire mood of the game and so it was a little uh, less about having a score with late motifs for everybody and you know it was much more of a okay the 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 setting and and the feel of this thing is going to be the most important thing And of course there's certain times when i would just basically create like for the vault and certain things i would create a space that would just you know that's specifically for this but sometimes it could be Oh, this loop that I created out of this strange convoluted vocal sample or whatever is perfect for X or Y or Z. And then uh, these elements that either the player, you know, manipulates something in the game or there's an Alma jump scare or some kind of thing like that, that would sort of be a, a work as sort of um, hinges between those things.
0: Um, yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned about just writing action pieces because writing an action piece doesn't actually really build tension the way some ambient and even type of horror music does right Mm -hmm. which pretty much that's what fear is like you're just on edge all the time
1: (laughs) (laughs) pretty pretty much it really is about sustaining tension i always love that about music anyway um i'm much less of a um a resolute uh kind of uh aesthetic I, i just I'm much more interested in leaving doors open and having people sort of draw their own conclusions. Um, I try to do that in a lot of different styles of music, but there's sort of an overlying aesthetic that I like to you know, incorporate into a lot of the stuff that I do. Um, but fear was a really <laughs> perfect sort of place to, to really try that. Um, music and sound design really blurred in that game probably for the first time as well that was this thing where you know you wouldn't really know where the ambient sound ended and when the music started um when i started creating those ambient loops for example there were a few uh atmospheric um, types of sounds that uh uh you know one of our sound designers brian pamantuan is now the director who i've worked with for decades who's great um and uh James Ackley who was at that time our director um had made a few of these things and I thought yeah I think when Craig came to me with that idea I thought well I can make these but I can even make them more musical I can kind of even create you know more of a I could start with these kind of drone ideas but then uh, start creating pulsing ideas and you know start building from there um So uh,
0: so would Craig give you a sound and then you'd manipulate it somewhat or did you have somewhat, uh, some sound packs that you kind oh, of, Oh yeah. On I mean, standby?
1: it's all my stuff is, it's either, um, put together from samples out of libraries or it's put together out of, um, uh, you know, synthesis or, you know, it's really just kind of anything I can get my hands on and, and, uh, and think about it in a musical way and so it could be you know some strange animal sample out of a library or it might be something that we did out of a field recording you know in in condemned I was I was actually went to a junkyard with um, these guys um when we were doing field recordings and they were trying to get impact sounds and things like that and I spent some time while they were getting their impact sounds I was going around and you know with a with a with a bow and find out this corrugated metal fence has a really cool tone if I bow it and you know, just trying to getting all these kind of uh sounds uh either from field recordings or from libraries and manipulating them with convolution and other types of effects and um and instrumental sound samples and synthesis is just kind of everything um um
0: I think I so, heard yeah. I think I heard a African or an Arabic kind of singing voice that was highly distorted
1: yeah i i really um like my sources is are really just kind of intuitive and you know in that case there's not really any really great story behind the source it really is just something out of a sample library but then maybe the type of processing i used either through a preverb or um i it was the first project that i experimented a lot with convolution and i wasn't using like straight up impulses uh, when I was running those sounds through. Um, I was running them through other sounds and so (laughs) I would like use like recordings of human screams as like a convolution impulse so that you know you could run anything through it, uh, orchestral stab or an animal sound or another voice speaking or singing and then there would be like this sort of screaming reverb tail off of everything. those kinds of effects I was experimenting with a lot. Um, and uh, and in some cases in the loops, and sometimes I wasn't even using real time convolution tools, I was just using like, acoustic mirror or some really, you know, simple thing that you just sort of process and cross your fingers and hope something cool comes out of it. Um, you know, so it was really, uh, um, it was also a way to add more atmosphere to the source that I had and um, create some tonal interest uh out of sounds that might have been traditionally just used texturally and trying to find you know pitch information out of those things and how does that bridge from instrument to sound to you know i've worked a lot in that way like what do the sounds want to do um uh, Mm. you know because my mom uh, my mother's a uh an artist she's a she's a watercolor artist mostly um now she's been doing a whole lot of um uh collage work now um which is also really amazing but um i remember growing up with her and she'd be painting and she'd paint with a lot of water um (laughs) and sometimes an artist would send her something saying i'm trying to figure out a technique that you're using and you know they'd use a lot of uh they'd try to do a bunch of things you know really meticulously with a brush and a lot of times she's just like you know she's just uh dropping you know some ink on and just splashing it into a big pool of water I remember like she'd have these really huge like really heavy watercolor paper that she'd work on but then when she used so much water it would just like it would start to kind of crater and she'd have to like you know you'd have to frame it and get it flattened in order to get the paper flat um but then all these effects would come out of the you know i was kind of thinking about these kinds of living ideas that come out can, is there an audio equivalent to that um was there an oral or equivalent to those kinds of things can uh can the sound sort of suggest shapes and images and can i you know can i bring that in and um and really uh be sensitive about what's the pitch you know what is the what is the the flow of it uh is the sound you know gliss around or is it static or does it you know is it is it filtered is it you know is it uh um is it bright is it what is it doing um and uh try to kind of capture the motion of that and figure like can i use that um as uh, a turning point uh to other things and then kind of work in this very non-linear fashion in a lot of ways with this work
0: so did you have a lot of stuff on the cutting room floor that never saw the light of day like heaps of different because you said you made loops, but yeah. was there heaps of different You'd stuff that you kind of just chucked I, I always
1: think that I would have a lot more on the cutting room floor. In the end, I I have a surprisingly small amount of orphans um when I'm done with a project. And partly because the projects are so big now, especially now, um yeah. that they're always like there are things that get temporarily orphaned. And then I somehow find a space for most of them. Um, so as if very little actually ends up on the cutting room floor. You'd think that there'd be more. Um, I would. I always expect there's going to be more. Um, and then at the end, it's sort of like, no, that works perfectly here. And then I realize, oh, then I can take that and and work and manipulate it. Um, Hmm. but uh yeah fear was really interesting transition for us in a lot of ways um it was it's that uh uh music and and sound blending together and not really understanding where one is and you know blurring those boundaries I think was really uh really a a key there I think it was also um just the opportunity to be able to uh score really uh what is really a tragedy in terms of the the root of you know story-wise kind of where alma comes from and uh how to uh get under the skin about those things and sort of creating this sort of sense of um you know i would often like in some of these kinds of scenes like uh um you know i might juxtapose like a you know a suspended ascending string line that sounds almost hopeful, you know, but there'd, there'd be like this, just, you know, because almost child, you know, so there'd be like that. And then, then there'd be underneath there'd be like this drone that just doesn't move, you know, it's just like, it just stays there. And you're like feeling like this stretch, you know, all the way through and just coming up with these sorts of ways of, of getting at those feelings. Um, and, I always feel like with really emotional music, I feel like if if you can no longer describe the feeling in words <laughs> that you're making, then you're probably on the right track because that's the kind of stuff that only music can really do. It's sort of like that that level of depth and immediacy, where when you try to describe the feeling, it almost feels clumsy um, compared to what your medium is. Then you really understand. It's like, yeah, that's why we
0: do what we do. Um, um, but you must you must do stuff yeah. and it, it goes off in like a different direction from what you intended when you're writing a piece sometimes. Right. Or does it yeah, stay the same but way? I,
1: but I but I love that. I mean, (laughs) part of me loves that Uh, because I I sort of creative people do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I I love uh, the idea that you can take um, material and just place it in different settings. Like you can even take a theme that you thought really just worked in this one particular way, and then you realize, oh, if I root it differently, or if I, you know, if I, if I change the rhythmic phrasing underneath, then this thing suddenly means something completely different. Um And then having those sort of revelations along the way as you write and realize, oh, this material is so much more versatile than I thought it was going to be, because I... I was really only using in this way and then I realized, Oh, I can, you know, I can, I can flip it. Um, and it's, it's still the same, it's rooted in the same space, but then I've, I've, uh, created a different different Mm. setting to put it in and then it becomes something more than I thought it was going to be. Um, I think those moments are like when you say, Oh yeah, some things, it's not always kind of, as you, as you started out, it's like, I, I welcome that really. Um, uh, I think it's a really uh, important part of the process.
0: So, give me a breakdown of how you compose. Do you just sit there until an idea comes? Do you just start experimenting with stuff. Like, what? Do you have some sort of process, or you just wing it?
1: I mean, I guess the main uh, short answer is yes. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, hey, I, the try, I try to. Um, I'm not a very linear thinker. And so when I have ideas, they sort of radiate out. It's not like, oh, yeah, you're just going to create the exposition, and then you're going to do the development, and then you're going to repeat. It's like um, there may be certain patterns that I get into that I know you know, might be reliable, and that I could maybe fall back on if I need to. And then there are some times when I might force a limit in order to get unstuck. Uh, but I don't start with the method. I don't say, "Okay, I'm going to spend you know x amount of hours at the piano, or I'm going to sing a tune, or I'm going to you know I'm going to have everything sort of like in this abstract format, and then I'm going to make it more concrete." I don't really work that way. It's much more uh, all at once. So I'm writing, I'm arranging, I'm mixing, I'm you know I'm sound designing, I'm doing all these things all at once, um, and the idea is. Sometimes I realize, oh, this this um, this passage really needs to be not here in this section, but it needs to be over here, and then I need to take this bit and put it here, and then I'm always just kind of pushing things around and kind of figuring out kind of how I want everything to everything to unfold. Um, and so I really need, you know, at the core, I really need a a, a fairly um, uh, uh, informal process in order to do what I do. Um, uh, and then to get unstuck, I might do things like, yes, walk away from the DAW for a while. Um, you know, (laughs) uh, just plunk around on an instrument live or sing a tune or, you know, try to come up with ideas that way, or, or take a walk. And sometimes things will just come to my head. Um, uh, and, you know, sometimes some ideas come to my head fully arranged. Um, and some ideas, uh, are, you know, less certain and I need to spend more time wrestling with them in real time. Um, uh, and that's fine. Uh, but like the, 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 the limits that I want to put on myself sometimes are, they're just things that I try to do to kind of make sure that I, I'm not, um, I'm not running around on loop and getting stuck. Um, but I don't, yeah. Yeah.
0: Makes sense. So I know, uh, well, Gary told me actually that you're a bit of a Lord of the rings nerd, um
1: hmm. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a danger to saying that um it's sort of like i could say that and then i could run into someone who speaks fluent sindarin and then i'm kind uh, of oh. <laughs> yeah you know what i mean it's like that's that's not something and you know the reality is is i've never really approached that stuff like a scholar um i've yeah, read read the trilogy well, a couple of times he might uh, be
0: comparing himself to you so yeah that, uh,
1: relatively i mean i deliberately um I deliberately chose to collaborate with Gary on this proj- project in a lot of ways because I knew that he wasn't like known for traditional fantasy scoring, um, and I knew that I weren't, we weren't going to make a traditional fantasy score. I knew that from from the beginning, just based on what the story was going to be, what the what the mood it suggested it should be. Um, we needed to really branch out and not do that. And um,
0: was that hard and- though?
1: Was it was hard. Um, I mean, I mean, honestly, I'm not really a traditional fantasy score guy either. So it's sort of, um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't hard to pull away from that for me. Um, I mean, I always thought of like Howard Shore's music for um, the trilogy. I mean, I like I said, I never approached that like a scholar, it was always just something that, you know, we had the Extended director's cut DVDs lying around the house and our family would watch them over and over again. And so I, you know, they're in my head, but they're not in my head like, you know, I should follow these. I mean, it's a different story. It's a film. It's like, there's nothing really (laughs) there other than the role model of, you know, listening to that music. You know, that Howard Shore was all in. You knew that Peter Jackson was all in. And so for me that's just a great reference to say yeah let's be all in like that um but but let's not imitate because we're a game and <laughs> and we have our own story <laughs> and it's you know it really needs something different um and so uh i think a lot of uh just kind of thinking about knowing that you have like these these masterworks sort of behind you in an IP like that is sort of like, you have to be able to say, I need to not spend my time and energy with a yardstick, like trying to figure out how far away am I from this? And, you know, should I be closer? Should I be farther away? And really just kind of look at your own story and figure out how to be all in. Um, That's kind of how I approached it. Um, And, uh, and I thought Gary was going to be perfect and, I was right. (laughs) He was great. A collaborator for this. Um, I mean, I heard Dante's Inferno and, you know, I was kind of like, man, there's just, that's just fearless. I mean, you know, I, the, for me, the, um, the studio is my, sort of my playground. Like I can, I can mix and match sounds from everywhere and put them together. And, and, um, and I feel really flexible in the studio, but like when I heard Dante, I was like, He's doing that on the podium with 60 people on the clock, you know, <laughs> it's like, and that stuff is really, you know, that stuff's really uncompromising. Um, and um and just, you know, just it's so great to hear you know, 60 people in a room playing stuff that's just so um, just so bold, you know. So I wanted I wanted that. Um and uh and so that was part of the reason why, why I brought him on and it was really inspiring to work with him I and mean, we have really different composition styles but I thought that it would just widen the palette of what we were doing and we could inform each other which I thought would be great so
0: did you did you ever work in the same building at the same time because you're based in seattle aren't you and he's in la so
1: that's correct yeah 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 so the only time we really worked together was when we were doing the recording uh we recorded up here in seattle at the bastier chapel with the uh, um with the, uh, uh you know with, with players up here um and uh uh and the the acoustics in that space are really great they're very cathedral like that's really kind of what i wanted with the with the sort of the I mean it's a mixed media score I mean we use samples and sometimes electronics and all kinds of things but like the 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 linchpin is the orchestra and choir in that cathedral setting which is something that I, that I definitely wanted to have that's something that um, I sort of felt like would you know give you know would complement the what we were doing um and so uh um so yeah we would spend um um We'd spend uh, I think we had like seven, was it um, yeah, I believe it was seven days of recording uh for Shadow of Mordor and eleven days of recording for Shadow of War. Um uh so really intense uh recording session. Um and you know, we had everything mocked up before then in and in the game. Like I like to have things in the game as soon as I can. And all my mock-ups are shippable. Um, that's how I work. I I want to be able to get the team excited on what I'm doing in the virtual space. So that doesn't matter whether or not my final medium is going to be virtual or whether that final medium is going to be live. Um, um, I want people excited about the work, and I want people to hear it in context of the game. And so, um, really, at the end, it was just like we're near the we're near the end of the project, and we're just swapping out those files and giving them that extra. Um, that extra life
0: um, well one of the one of the cool things i thought is the fact that you and gary worked on it but your music kind of blends i don't think you can really tell who composed who what what, what piece right that's great yeah so <laughs> you know <laughs> so, i mean you know it's i i
1: i sort of feel like when you work with somebody for for five years on two games <laughs> and you you're using your ears you're gonna get uh familiar with each other's um uh language and um but then you're also going to be at the same time bringing all your unique things to the table it was it was just as fun to delegate music to gary as it was to write my own i mean it was like i you know i made sure that we both had very prominent themes i wrote a lot i wrote the main themes to the games but then i would have gary do like major boss fights and like the theme to Gollum. i had to give gary the theme to Gollum. i mean it's like I, I totally wanted to hear what he'd do with that you know it's like so there's always that kind of you know that that kind of uh um that i don't know it's just that kind of moment of inspiration just thinking about oh i i just i really want to hear what what this mind will do with with this um and uh and in some cases, it's it's just as fun to do to do that as it is to write. Um, so, so would you yeah.
0: would you write something and then maybe pass it to Gary? He'd work on it and then tweak it and then he'd pass it back to you and then you'd work on it again. Was there any type um, of collaboration like that, or would it be usually allocated as you focus on this thing? Uh, it's usually allocated
1: thing. and but not all the time. Like in some cases I would like uh like when we were doing the Shelob themes for uh those Cinemax uh, with her reveal like I wrote the original Shelob theme and then there were certain scenes where I thought, you know, I'm going to see what Gary does with this. And so he um you know, he'd have that he'd have that thematic inf- you know, uh that thematic information from the the scene that I wrote and then he would he'd elaborate on it, and um, it was also fun to sort of see how how a theme would get developed. But we didn't do it too often because it, it does take a little bit more time, um, particularly if you're doing uh, collaborative cues, uh, because it's just that if you're doing collaborative cues specifically that are going to get recorded live, then you have that whole orchestration process where you have to sort of corral um, uh, material from one session with a material from another session. And then you're trying to kind of merge them all together. It takes just more logistics to do that. And so you have to kind of pick and choose, you know, how much, you know, where, where you think that'll give you the, give you uh, something really cool that you thought you might not be able to get with a single composer.
0: Cause did you do some work with Inon for War in the North? Lord of the Rings War in the North? Um, really my, my involvement in
1: War in the North was pretty, was pretty, pretty limited um that was really being kind of handled um by uh, a development team that had pretty much been running on its own steam for a while um but uh i did um i did get to work with enon on uh, guardians of middle earth which was sort of our uh xbla moba um game and um and uh, there was even uh i hadn't had an opportunity like he actually conducted a couple of cues that i had written um for that game that unfortunately never saw the light of day because of some design changes um but he had like a there was just this really interesting opportunity at that time because we weren't really planning on doing a lot of live recording but then there was an opportunity where we could uh basically um he had like a, a session that was at Bastyr where he was recording some other things and there was some extra time at the end of it. And I thought, yeah, it would be really cool to, you know, <laughs> get one of my cues or two, you know, together. And, and that was, that was kind of fun. It was sort of like, uh, you know, seeing Enon conduct my stuff. It was fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I suppose. Um,
0: and and that soundtrack has a bit more of the fantastical, how would shore sound as opposed to shadow of war and shadow? of Well, or- well,
1: war North does. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and, um, and guardians to a certain extent also, I mean, yeah. um, I mean, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, it wasn't, um, it really was, it really was the shadow games where I sort of felt like we're really going in a different direction. And, um, that's kind of when I started doing my own exploration of what that should be. And then I uh, brought in, uh, Gary to, you know, help uh, uh push it in more directions
0: so does warner brothers like contact you now and then to work on additional games or does someone else within those studios ask you like say with mortal Kombat 11 because i know you mm-hmm. did a little bit of stuff for that yeah are, are you yeah. just approached by them or you just like hey I'm yeah you know it it, it
1: it was uh um it was a there was a little bit of an effort for us um oh probably about uh nine years ago, or my, uh, uh, my audio director, Brian Pam uh got like a whole bunch of studios together, like a whole bunch of, th- of the studios audio groups together to meet. Um, uh, really down down at Burbank and kind of hang out in a lot and just sort of have some meetings just to kind of get us to sort of break the ice and get to know each other and make it sort of like a more personable thing, and so because I think habitually we get pretty siloed. We're like, okay, well, this is our this is our world, and we're all embedded in it, and we're trying to trying to finish it. But you know, games have gotten a lot larger now, um, and so I would say that effort was was great. It didn't have instant like we didn't start getting calls from studio to studio to like help each other out so much. But then more recently, we started to. Um, um we had uh uh the team in montreal's audio department uh helped us out with some of the audio for some of our cinematics for shadow of war um and then yeah um then rich carl called me up and you know wanted me to write some stage music for mk11 um so yeah it happens um and it's it's cool (laughs) um i mean i i I had a great time with mk and i I love that team i mean I, i i rich and dan are great they've been they've been in the industry forever and um they know that game in and out and they have been iterating on that game it's a you know it's a 30 year old franchise it's incredible right they keep keep it going and they keep it interesting um and uh and one of the one of the perks to that you get in a game, you know, because Monolith, we kind of move around and you're like, look back and it's like, really? We did an MMO? Yeah, we did an MMO. We did a MOBA. Yeah, we did that. You know, we did corridor shooters. We've done third person action adventures, but you know, there's a studio <laughs> that has been making Mortal Kombat since 1990. And you know, it's, it's great, you know, because there's this whole other way of doing things. Like if you're really successful and can hit that and then can keep it interesting for yourselves, Awesome. And what's cool technically about that is that they give me the, like the spec for like how they want me to arrange the cues out for this thing. And I'll read it and I go. I have zero technical questions, like none. It's like they this is completely airtight because they just know it. They know exactly what they want to do, and they've been iterating very deliberately and carefully. And so everything is super organized. And so I I walk into something like stage music for MK11. And it's like okay, you have these eighteen elements, and you know there are three main loops, and there's you know, and everything is perfectly explained. And so all I'm doing is just I'm hitting the creative end of it from the get go um it's very different <laughs> doing our own internal stuff when we're reinventing things it's like you know nemesis system there wasn't no no one was doing a nemesis system game for it and, and open world was even new to us at that time uh, yeah. shadow mordor was a really challenging project for me implementation wise because um it's just it's sort of like i got little cocky with the linear <laughs> stuff. I really did. There was like I get these QA bugs and I'd be going, that's not what the bug is. The bug is this. I know it. I, what do I need a QA team for? And then when I got to Shadow of mordor I was like, I need a QA team really, really badly. <laughs> uh because they just you just don't there's so much variability in the world. You just don't like I didn't know that that I didn't know a troll could stomp on me in the middle of that presentation. I didn't know that could happen. And it's like my music broke and it's just it's so just harrowing to like try to just put something that variable and that active together um and so uh so yeah it's a refreshing when you know i get a call from nether realm and you know <laughs> mortal combat's like yeah we have this thing and i was like wow yeah i can do that i i have no questions <laughs> um and uh yeah and it's that stuff was a great palate cleanser for me because you know like the, the <laughs> the lord of mortal combat is gloriously bonkers after you've been doing this really like you know grounded tolkien kind of stuff where everything's canon and everything fits and you know you're trying to kind of make it um trying to kind of like you're trying to stretch stuff enough to make a story and a functioning game out of it but you know you kind of have some way to tie everything together and it's all really important And mk is just sort of like you know <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you kill everybody every fight anyway, but they keep coming back, and, you know, already that's a suspension of disbelief to begin with. Um, I suppose that's it's,
0: one of the cool things about working under the Warner Brothers umbrella, right? Mm-hmm. You have so much potential in terms of something you could work on that could just come out of nowhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, just the fact that there has been a little bit more sharing from studio to studio has sort of given me a little bit more visibility throughout, and that's been fun. Uh, it's fun to see how other teams do their process and and what. A certain type of platform of game really requires and um, really kind of understanding that from and, and the nuts and bolts of it. You get you get a, at least a glimpse of it, even if you're just making content like I don't I don't implement for Mortal Kombat like I do on our own games. But um, but uh, but I do uh, but I do, you know, I have been able to write content in those in those formats. And that's a really interesting challenge to do a fighting game like that, because I hadn't done. A fighting game <laughs> before that and uh, one of the things i realized was when you're writing action cues in mm. an adventure game you got a little bit more room you got a little more dynamic room um in a really tight uh you know 2d combat game you don't really ha- necessarily have that room it's sort of like um it's like i want to create something that keeps your interest if it loops and so i'm gonna I'm going to go places. I'm not going to stay static. I'm going to like say, okay, I'm going to break this down. I'm going to make a change. I'm going to go to a B part. I'm going to, you know, change the pulse and the rhythm concept. I'm going to go into halftime or maybe have a layer of halftime and double time and other kinds of things going on just to keep things interesting. And the challenge is, is that you can do all those things, but you can't ever let up on energy. It always has to be at 11.
0: Yeah. You know, totally. and
1: you can't, you know, so you can't it's that's the that's the challenge of it is that every time i like go hey i'm going to do this thing i'm going to put this curve ball in and it's going to be awesome and and it is cool but if you ever hear like it's so easy to hear a dip in the energy it, it, you have to figure out how to get around that problem um scoring it so that you can keep your energy up and also keep the interest up at the same time i think that's the the biggest challenge of of doing those cues i think the rest of the challenges were about were all self-inflicted it was sort of like i need Really crazy sound design and full orchestra stuff, and you know, <laughs> and you know, weird polyrhythms, and, and all the you know, I needed, I needed it all. You know, it was like I was like a Jolt Cole ad from the 80s or something. I would dare to want it all kind of thing. You know, I just, <laughs> yeah, I just, um, so yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was, uh, uh, it was, it was. It was it's interesting it's just it's very dense music I feel like if I ever got any feedback it was like just add something I'm like really you want more okay <laughs> 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 um but yeah for the most part it was like you know one or two takes on something they loved it and they were really um they um really felt like um I was adding something to it and I that's that was really gratifying to hear that and, you know a franchise it's that it's that <laughs> that that's that's that renown it's 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 great to know that i can you know add a voice to it
0: well you'll probably end up working again with them i'm, I'm sure most likely yeah yeah because the cues so there'd be smaller cues and say something like shadow of war shadow of mortal right but mm-hmm. they'd just be more exactly precise like they have to kick in at
1: well yeah certain, it's it's you know when, yeah when... it's not just about precision because you know i mean i'm i generally have a pretty precise style but like it's just it's just the it's the energy it's just making sure that you don't let up um or that if you change you don't feel the dip um and i think that's really the that's really the trick to it um
0: is it is it a mixing thing as well the way you mix it
1: i don't know i don't know whether it's a mixing thing i mean it, it's I, I suppose it could be but it's just more about the fact that um it's it's just about the fact that you you really only have a couple of beats that you can really get away with dropping stuff out mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's sort of like okay i i i got a i got a cool drop in here i've got a i got a breakdown but my breakdown's only about two beats long and then everything's got to come back in a different way you know it's like you just have to make sure that that you don't yeah you don't feel that um um and uh and that's hard is you don't want it to sound you don't want it to sound like monotonous and completely relentless. You know, you gotta you gotta keep um, things pushing around. And I, I did a lot of stuff um that was a little different to uh I think one of the things that I mean I, I when I did the um Kronika hourglass thing, that actually takes uh there's there's breaks in it that actually take a theme um from Kronika that Will Roger wrote. Um and will lives here in seattle and uh we got together after huh. the game shipped and and had a really really good talk um and uh yeah he's great um but like uh um but there's like the first round of that theme i basically said you know look at this it's like this the chronicle keeps this the sands of time in a giant hourglass and it's in the middle of, you know i'm going the 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 atmosphere of this I think is actually needs to take precedent in the first round. And then later rounds, sure. We'll, we'll up the tempo. We'll, we'll rock it out a little bit more, but um, yeah, I I made a track for that for the first round that was probably the slowest tempo that they've ever done in a, in their games. and You know, Rich heard it first It's like, at first I was like going, we can't do anything this slow, but then he's like, actually this is working and I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that there was an implied tempo about it in a way it was sort of like a very slow almost um uh dubstep aesthetic to the rhythm of it being kind of the pulses being on the half note but it being really down like 100 bpm like you know so that it was just like these this kind of tick tock kind of thing going on in the background but then the rhythm that was implied there is you could hear that there was some things kind of up in the 16th note area that was that some of the things would happen in, in terms of syncopation things would hit in a certain way where you sort of implied that there was um there was tension there as well. Um so there's a lot of this sort of layered approach I took to rhythms on that to sort of give people sort of a sense of um manipulation of time. I did a lot of that stuff particularly at that level um did a lot of reverse effects and a lot of like you know dead stops and things like that in in that piece. Um but uh just being able to push on what is traditionally sort of expected in terms of tempo, um, in a fighting game like that, um, was also really, uh, really kind of a cool thing. Um, and to actually succeed at that is it was definitely a little outside the norm.
0: Mm. With video games becoming more cinematic, Mm -hmm. would you ever want to devil more in the, the film space?
1: Um, I did a little bit, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, I think um, I think in order to dabble in the film space at the level that I need to get it, you know, the, in order to really get the really good films yeah, uh, that yeah. people actually see, um, it would require a lot of hustle, um, <laughs> and I'm not really known for hustle. Um, uh, I uh, I I think that would be great if somehow through the course of my career just doing all the things that have been thrown in front of me constantly like we really never had a break it was there's always been something that I've, I've had to chew on you know if 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 a if a, a crossover moment arrives where you know a really good film um comes by then great but like <clears throat> but yeah I did, I did do a little bit of that and it was also really interesting um so our cinematics director nathan hendrickson he wrote a um he wrote a, a, a horror movie called the hollow one um, that he sort of kind of did on his yeah. own budget and um, and uh, and it was a really interesting experience. I, I'd never done like a full length film before. And what was interesting is coming from cinematics to that is really different in terms of pacing. Uh, the thing that I learned, the thing I learned the most about it is that you can't hit all the beats. And I'm really used to hitting most of the beats in a cinematic, like if there's an emotional shift or that sort of thing. Because usually what happens in gameplay is you play for an hour and then you get a cinematic. And then the cinematic is one minute, two minutes, and there's pivotal things in there. Like you don't want to show the you know the interaction between the, the players and how they feel about each other, and something is happening in the plot that's changing. You know, it's sort of like <clears throat> and you're looking at these things and you're going, yeah, I need to hit this. I need to hit this. I need to hit this. And then, and then we're out, right. And then we're back in the gameplay for another hour or two for the player. Right. And with a film, <clears throat> if you try to hit the beats at that level of density, it sounds really contrived. It's really weird. And it's just, it's just the, it's just the pacing of the whole thing. you got to like give it room to breathe. You can't hit everything. You can't say, Oh yeah, this is a really, I looked, I was looking at the scene as if it was a cinematic for a while. I think that was where, where, Like all the corrections that I had made in that score were all based on that habit of basically saying, yeah, you got to lay off. It's like, I know this thing goes from a jump scare to a drama moment to, a, you know, but you can't hit all of them because it's just going to, it doesn't even matter how sophisticated your language is. It's still going to feel contrived. It's like, oh, it's just. It's like, man, I, I thought my harmony in that, in that, in that moment where that was like the dramatic moment was, was really, was really cool and not sappy at all, but it almost feels like, um, like the, the drama felt like melodrama just because I was trying to hit that moment in between the two other moments. Um, so I, what I just sort of discovered in working in a, in a long timeframe about that was that I had to kind of like go, yeah, don't hit all of them, you know, let it, let it, let it breathe um this is more yeah yeah no it's really interesting because uh because you know like i say if you're working in cinematics it's sort of like oh this is the moment a core moment where the story happens and then the rest is getting ga- and so you you always like the it often feels good to hit a lot of beats in that because it's sort of, it feels like a kind of a protein pill film like every cinematic feels like that um but in the in the movie you know that's that's constant you can't do it <laughs> <laughs> so that was great it was great it was a great experience for me so I'm I'm glad I did it um but uh like more yeah more films I mean I I just yeah. haven't been I haven't been running after them I think it would take a lot to do that um uh when I have so much to do in
0: games well yeah <laughs> you know? yeah yeah I mean I, I've um, spoken to a lot of composers and and mm-hmm. you know some of them want to do film and um uh, mm-hmm. They say it's all about who you know and they don't know the right people. The, uh, yeah, part of the reason I-, I bring it up is because you work for Warner Brothers, but then I don't know how much of the interaction between like the film side and the gaming side has much to do with each other.
1: Yeah, I mean, not as much as you might think. Yeah, I mean, it would yeah. be it would be great if there was more crossover, but I do think I do feel like because of the the nature of the work is that you have to be pretty immersed in what you do, and so, so like separate. That, entities. That, that's probably it's the yeah. same reason why it was hard to even get our game studios to start, you know, branching out and 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 realizing, oh yeah, you guys are you guys are still in concepting while we're trying to ship, and it would be great if we could, you know share resources a little bit i mean that's that it's kind of the same thing it's sort of like yeah it would be good to um to it we have uh used worked with um some uh sound uh crews down uh in Burbank to like do certain things like field recording and some things like that for us we've done we've done some work with with uh with those folks too um but it's not um like it it doesn't feel like it's all just we're just this big pool that everybody shares from all the time. Um, it, it feels like you gotta you gotta do a little bit of, a little bit of work to kind of connect.
0: Yeah, because it, it I think that's the perception to some people that you guys are just one massive studio and you all work together on everything. But right, right, right. Uh, I mean, you're so big. I don't know <laughs> how well yeah that as far as, as film
1: you know like for, where, I, where I came from is I you know came out of college and my first gigs were game gigs um and it was an option for me to explore something that was a little less established it was sort of a wild west kind of thing in the 90s I was doing z80 chip music on sega genesis games in the early 90s and so I mean it's it's cool to have a career that spans that to full orchestra for shadow of war i mean it's that's pretty great it's like it's it's nice to kind of look at that whole thing and realize oh there's so many ways to make music for these things and and in some cases in the early years there were fewer ways to make music and now the the now everything is super broad and now uh chip music is retro cool again <laughs> yeah <laughs> you yeah. know and like i you know there's there's artists that have like taken like you know, midi files I made from Microsoft in the nineties and remix them. And like, I'm just like going, wow. You know, it's like, this is a whole cool world out there of people who are just experimenting around just even on those old chips again. And, and, um, and the, the, the culture is different because it's not like those people have clients that are saying, I want things to sound like the CD. (laughs) They're like, they're like really just pushing the limits of what a chip can do. And I think that's awesome. You know? Yeah.
0: Um, um, well, that's the thing so, because yeah. um, gaming now grosses more than film and television combined, right? But right. when you joined, obviously it wasn't that well established. So, yeah, I you mean, know, it's, sort it's uh, you the of... You, you could get into the ground floor with a
1: creative job. You weren't just pouring coffee for somebody for ten years and possibly, you know, um, turning up a fader, you know, in a control room. Um, you were. We were writing and sound designing <laughs> right away, um, you know, and that was that was great. And, and uh, you know, the entry was, you know, I mean, it was it was kind of fly by night for a long time and just, you know, just trying to get um, whatever uh, gear together that I could get to in order to make this stuff. But um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 been it's been rewarding to be part of the evolution of it. And just to see the 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 uh, methods expand out in all directions in terms of kind of how you how you uh how you approach things.
0: Totally. Well, hey, you got an awesome CV now. <laughs> Looks good, man. All the stuff you've worked on. Uh yeah. No, the the, the I, I like games. I like
1: <laughs> philosophically. I like games because I have an underlying aesthetic to what I do musically, which is I like listeners of my work to feel like they're participating which is why um i talk about things like you know ambiguity and um not uh forced resolutions and those sorts of things that i that i kind of hold dear in my own process to try to keep things um keep things engaged in the sense that when you're listening to the work you're making your own conclusions um and and that helps the material endure repetition. So maybe the third time you hear <laughs> the piece of music in the game, maybe you're tapping your foot differently, and it still works because there's a you know a different rhythmic pulse that's implied in the work, or maybe there's something going on harmonically that's you know that's rooted in a way that's you know that is open for interpretation. And these are just all kind of techniques I've sort of implied over the years, just to try to kind of keep things open and to keep people wondering and to sustain a certain sense of tension and mystery in the work. And um, that maps the games really well. Um, not only does it make the material itself um, more repetition proof, but I also feel like the, um, the mode that a gamer is in is really different than the mode that somebody that just wants to passively hear a story from start to finish is they're actively solving problems and they want to feel smart and powerful and so i want to make music that isn't you know that isn't really saying i'm smart it's saying you're smart i want i want you to engage and and you are in that mental mode of solving problems and um and feeling powerful and and uh, feeling competent and feeling autonomous like you you're making your decisions and so i want that's why there's sort of a there's a marriage there. I think that is just a, a kind of a joyful coincidence of kind of what I what I love about music and um, the gaming mind. Um, that's kind of how I think of it.
0: Cool. Well, hey, I'm gonna wrap up there, Nate. Thank this you. has been a pleasure. Thank you so much yeah, for great. doing this.
1: Great talking to you as well. Thank
0: uh, you. So, where can everyone follow? Do you actually even use social media?
1: No. You... <laughs> <laughs> no, I I avoid it like the plague. I, good I, man,
0: I, good yeah. man. <laughs> I I I, I applaud It's not my it. thing.
1: Uh, there was uh uh there's a story. I, I um I uh <laughs> I walked into my spinning class um uh, <laughs> like this was after the Cambridge analytical uh, analytical scandal uh, yes, happened, yes, and yes. there was like these three page printouts and all the exercise cycles that was like a whole like you know treaties on like how to delete your facebook account and i I walked up to him with my printout and i said i'm not on facebook and and the the coach like looked at me and said you're a forward thinker (laughs) that's the first time anyone has ever told me about that about social media i am a luddite when it comes to social media i i'm email only um but uh um i mean yeah (laughs) uh but um yeah i mean i try now and then i will do certain things like there might be an audio meetup i'll hear about that i'll kind of join in on um i when we ship games that's usually an opportunity for us to show up down at gdc and so i sometimes i'll do talks like that um i I did one with gary for shadow war uh, uh back in the day um and um and so i do some of that as well um and uh and yeah i mean i would say um if uh i just you know keep in touch with me i am curious i i'm i'm also on linkedin um so there's that too um, yeah so if connect to me that way um, and
0: i suppose people can always listen to your stuff on youtube mm-hmm. and probably spotify i'd imagine
1: yeah um there's some there's some shadow of war right now um is currently not uh digitally distributed and that's just some inquiries that I have to kind of make into that right now um but uh Shadow Mordor I believe it is still um and then yeah I mean my uh like I know all my Mortal Kombat stuffs on YouTube um I know um that really all my music at some point <laughs> ends up over there if people yeah. are curious to hear it um well uh, i know i definitely yeah. know
0: all your fear stuff is on uh youtube because that's right. where i listen to it yeah
1: right right yeah yeah, yeah. so it's 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 uh yeah and again you know i don't have my own site right now um but, that's all right uh, yeah you can it, you can yeah.
0: you're the guy in the background pulling all the yeah right. <laughs> <The public master. laughs>
1: but uh yeah it's just 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 look me up you'll 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 see me and hear me <laughs> for sure cool um, cool yeah yeah all
0: right well uh, that's the show everyone make sure you share like and subscribe and uh stay safe until next right. time see you later thank you